1: Hello, beloved family. Good day. So happy to be with you. My voice is a little hoarse. I'm not sick. I don't know why it's hoarse, um, but I'm I'm truly thrilled to be with you. And all is well, except all is well because God is on His throne. But I know you know many of you are keeping up to date on the situation with B- Bishop Strickland and the news uh, that um, uh, Pope Francis. Uh, and the Vatican is going to ask him to resign. Um, one of the bishops and the papal nuncio here in the United States apparently are going to confront him and ask him to resign. And there's no basis for it whatsoever. He's a good, good bishop. He will not resign because he would re- be resigning under uh, no, for no reason. Um, and so we ask you to pray for him. Um, truth is being attacked by the enemy. Uh, We are nearing, uh, I don't know, the end times. We're in them. The end times actually began um, when our Lord was on the cross. Uh, But they are speeding up, and the enemy is getting nervous, and he's trying to shut down every bit of truth. He began by um, trying to shut down the truth and asking Eve Um, if God really said that you shouldn't eat from that tree, come on, he doesn't want you to be like him. Did he really say that? And he's never stopped questioning, uh, tempting people to question God, to question his existence, to question truth, and the evil in this world that is run by the prince of the power of the air, who is Satan, is Satan, and uh, multiplying by the hour we're living in... uh, tremendous darkness Um, if you're not aware of it dear ones um, perhaps you're in a little bit of bliss in middle america somewhere but you need to be aware of it and you need to proclaim the truth Um, if a catholic uh, remains silent like a great deal of our bishops if not most of them are you are greatly accountable to god you are not given the faith and you were not ordained to keep silent, but to spread the truth and the gospel to every single creature. Back in the year 1880, um, a a priest by the name of Father Michael Muller, M-U-L-L-E-R, in 1880, um, asked this question, are we bound to profess our faith openly? the faith of the one holy Catholic and apostolic church? Are we bound? And how would you answer that? You might say, well, uh, I believe it, and, and I, I know I, I live it, but I don't speak it aloud. I'm afraid. I'm afraid people will make fun of me, or they won't believe me, or it'll split my family from me, or I won't be popular anymore. Um, I want to tell you you don't have a choice. Bishops, you do not have a choice to not proclaim the faith once given to the saints, as Bishop Strickland keeps repeating, the deposit of faith. You have no choice to do that. And so to the question of are we bound to profess this faith openly, Father Muller in 1880 says, yes, whenever the glory of God and the spiritual welfare of our neighbor require it, For Christ says, quote, Everyone that shall confess me before men, I will also confess him before my Father who is in heaven. But he that shall deny me before men, I will also deny him before my Father who is in heaven. Matthew chapter 10. And you say, I'm not denying him, I'm just not speaking. If you don't speak, you're denying him. Edward Burke, I've quoted him many times, Uh, has said the only thing needed for evil um, to reign is for good men to remain silent. If you remain silent, you are denying the Lord who bought you with his blood. Father Mueller goes on to say, it is not enough to believe in our heart the truth of the Catholic Church. We are also bound under pain of sin to make an open profession of our religion to deny our faith through human respect or false shame, to blush at the truths of the gospel and the practices of Catholic piety, to disavow before men what we believe in our hearts is to commit a grievous sin and to bring down on ourselves the severest chastisements of heaven as we learn from our Lord Jesus Christ himself. He has told us in plain words, Whoever shall deny me before men, I will also deny him before my Father who is in heaven. Beloved, if you think you're safe because you simply remain quiet, you are tremendously guilty. You are going to be judged more so than you would ever be persecuted if you spoke the truth. In every age, the Church of Christ has considered the external denial of faith, a most grievous sin and has condemned as heretics all those who declare that under certain circumstances, the denial of faith was lawful and has even inflicted very severe penalties on those who during the ages of persecution denied their faith to save their lives for to deny the faith externally in a matter of the great is a matter of the greatest importance is in itself a grievous sin. It is to reject openly as a falsehood what one believes in his heart to be the truth revealed by God. Moreover, not only is the denial of our religion, either by words or signs, a grievous sin, but all dissimulation by which others may think that we have denied that faith is too a great sin. At the time of St. Cyprian, There were some weak Catholics who, in order to escape persecution, procured for money an attestation from the magistrates that they had complied with what the persecuting laws required of them, though in reality they had not. On account of such dissimulation, those weak Catholics were looked upon by the Church as traitors to their religion and as such they were not allowed to assist at Mass and receive the sacraments until by a long and severe penance they had endeavored to expiate their crime and to satisfy for the scandal which they had given. No matter how firmly we may be convinced in our hearts of the truth of our religion and church, if we deny it outwardly, by word, sign, or action, we can never expect salvation while in that state. The Holy Scriptures are clear and explicit on this point. In addition to the text quoted in the above answer, Christ says in St. Luke, He that shall deny me before men shall be denied before the angels of God. Luke 12. On this authority of Christ, St. Paul declares the same truth as a faithful saying and commands his disciple Timothy and his person and in his person all the pastors of God's church to preach and inculcate the same truth to their people. A faithful saying. From these words, it evidently follows that to deny Jesus Christ and consequently to deny his faith Oh, let me finish that. I'm sorry, I skipped a A faithful saying, if we deny him, he will also deny us. These things admonish and testify in the Lord. That's Paul to Timothy. From these words, it evidently flows that to deny Jesus Christ and consequently to deny his faith or his church is a sin of the blackest dye and one that on the last day will call down on us the dreadful sentence, quote, I know ye not, I know ye not whence ye are, depart from me, all ye workers of iniquity. Luke chapter 13. It cannot be said that the foregoing passages from our Lord and St. Paul apply only to the denying of Christ and not to the denial of the faith and of the church that the denial of faith is included in these texts and considered the same as denying Christ is manifest from the following expressed declaration of Christ himself. Quote, from Mark chapter 8, He that shall be ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man also will be ashamed of him, when he shall come in the glory of his Father with the holy angels, end quote, from our Lord. In this text, it is stated in the plainest terms that to be ashamed not only of Christ, but also of his words, that is of his doctrine, of his religion, and consequently of his church, the depositary of that faith is a mortal sin and will entail on the soul eternal damnation but if to be ashamed of christ and his faith will damn the soul how much more the denying of christ and his faith nothing therefore should ever induce us to be guilty of so base a crime as the betrayal of our faith we must always be ready to lay down our lives sooner than to deny the faith of the catholic church Beloved, there's the music for our first break. We'll be right back to continue this after the break and take your calls after the second break. Hello, beloved. This is Mother Miriam. How would you like to wake up each morning to inspiring sermons from knowledgeable and faith-filled priests? You can tune in to sermons for everyday living, every day, at 6 a.m. Eastern on the Station of the Cross. You can listen on thestationofthecross.com or anytime on the free iCatholic Radio mobile app. God bless you.
2: Hear what listeners are saying about the free iCatholic Radio mobile app. Through the iCatholic Radio app, I have listened to the sermons and teachings several times. The effect has been a deeper understanding of my faith and Catholic tradition. This app has truly been a blessing in my life and has increased my faith. Listen live or at your convenience to your favorite shows. Just search for iCatholic Radio in your app store today. You can listen to any of our network produced programs at your convenience, wherever you enjoy podcasts, hear a powerful sermon you need to share with a loved one. Maybe there's a guest or teaching segment that deserves another listen. You can find all of our shows on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Podcasts, our website and the free iCatholic Radio app. Be uplifted in your faith. Listen today at thestationofthecross.com or on your favorite podcasting platform.
0: Hi, I'm Debbie Giorgiani. And I'm Adam Bly. Join us for The Spirit World on the Station of the Cross. If we're really going to suffer, we really need to suffer here when we're in the church militant phase, right?
3: The most difficult part for the poor soul is that they had some amount of that beatific vision in their judgment. They know they're going to get back to God, but then they're separated from God. So that's kind of the worst part because that's a spiritual suffering.
0: The Spirit World, every Saturday at 11 a.m., right here on the Station of the Cross.
1: are in the middle of um, a uh, a message, a homily, a sermon by Father Mueller, M-U-L-L-E-R, in 1880, writing about the necessity to proclaim our faith and the grave situation that to keep silent is comparable to denying Christ, and we will not be in heaven if we die in that state. He says there are two cases in which, in particular, we are obliged to make an open profession of our holy religion. And as I say this, I think of all the bishops, so many good bishops, but they are remaining silent. And, uh, dear bishops, can you imagine where we'd be if the first bishops remained silent, uh, of whom you are their successors, successors of the apostles, Can you imagine if they remained silent? The the truth would never have gotten out. Uh, There would be no Catholic Church. If you dare remain silent, because you don't want to stir up trouble for yourself, you want people to like you, you want to be popular, you don't want to hear from the Vatican, all of that, you are in sin. You are in sin, and you are denying Christ. And, the consequences of that are very, very grave. I'll repeat the last sentence from Father Mueller. There are two cases in which, in particular, we are obliged to make an open profession of our holy religion. These two cases are the honor and glory of God or the spiritual welfare of our neighbor. If, for instance, a Catholic is called upon by public authority whether just or unjust, to give an account of his religion, he should make an open profession of it. For to be unwilling then to maintain or defend it through pride, human respect, or worldly motives, that is, lest we should be contemned by others or be laughed at by worldlings, is a great insult to Jesus Christ, a betrayal of our duty to him. It is a preferring of what men may think of us to his approval, and it is to be afraid of men more than of God. Human respect and worldly motives can never be received by God as an excuse for not making an open profession of our belief when we are bound to make it, for concealing it through such unworldly, unworthy motives, lest we should meet with any inconvenience, or be considered bigoted or illiberal, is a heinous sin, which God will severely punish hereafter. To be silent when we are bound to speak out and declare our belief is no less than to be ashamed of the faith of Christ and of the faith of our church and is sacrificing our duty to God to what others may say or think of us. The honor of God, then, requires us to declare our faith openly and not to be ashamed of Christ nor of his words when we are questioned about our religion before a judge or public magistrate. Though such open profession of our faith may cost us all we have, even our very lives. Hence, all the holy martyrs, when examined before their persecuting judges, openly confessed their faith in Christ and rejoiced with the apostle to suffer for his name. They suffered death itself in the midst of the most cruel torments rather than do the smallest thing contrary to their holy faith or even anything that had the appearance of being contrary to faith. Neither their parents nor friends nor love for their country could prevail upon them to deny their religion. On those occasions, they address their friends in words like these. Farewell, dear friends, we now must part. For God, I die with willing heart. I see sad tears be dim your eye. Weep not for me. Tis sweet to live, more sweet to die. Weep not for me. Fond hearts, farewell. Soon shall our grief be o'er. In heaven we'll meet once more. Farewell, dear land, that gave me birth. My home, the dearest spot on earth. Kind friends, bear home my parting sigh. For God to live is sweet, more sweet, more blessed to die. Farewell, green hills, bright skies, farewell. O scene surpassing rare, but heaven is far more fair. Farewell, fond mother. Bless thy child. Farewell, dear father, good and mild. Rejoice with me. Repress each sigh and pray that I may falter not, may bravely die. Farewell, fond hearts. Farewell, farewell. A crown of heavenly light gleams o'er me dazzling bright. Beloved. Bishop Strickland is ready for whatever trial God has for him. No one wants to be a martyr. No one wants to die. We want to live for our faith. But I'll tell you, it is very difficult. Uh, It's almost impossible to live for a faith fully that you're not ready to die for. Not that you would die. We're not masochists. We're not looking for martyrdom. But if we 're not willing to die for our faith, then we're not willing to truly live for it. The article goes on to talk about the Irish people in their in their famine in their hunger um, i'm i'm going i'm I'm skipping down to see if I can jump in another place and there's so much here um Okay, hold on now. I'm gonna all, I, I skipped the entire section of the famine in Ireland that took many, many lives and where parents gave their life for their children. <clears throat> I'm going to continue now. When our neighbor's spiritual welfare requires it, we should, too, make open profession of our religion. If, for instance, another is in danger of denying his faith, unless he is publicly encouraged or instructed. Or again, when we hear wicked men railing against the gospel or ridiculing the truths of our religion and at the same time have well-grounded hopes that by defending those sacred truths, we shall check the impiety and railing of these unbelievers and prevent others who are present from being hurt by these impious attacks on religion, it becomes then a duty to profess openly our esteem and veneration for the gospel truths, for the edification of our neighbor, and the honor of God, require us to do so. During the French Revolution, a good Catholic Vendian named Repoche was taken prisoner by the infidel soldiers, part of the Vendians, one of the most glorious. Um, um, victories in history they brought him to a place where a large cross had been erected and said to him you have been taken with arms in your hands your life is forfeited see yonder is the cottage in which you were born your father is there waiting for you now your life will be spared but on one condition the good soldier cast a look at his cottage he thought of his aged father. He thought of his pleasant home. His brave heart was wrung with emotion, and the blinding tears rolled down his cheeks. Tell me, he said, what must I do? One of the infidel soldiers gave him an axe. Here, said he, take this axe and cut down that cross, and you shall be set at liberty. The Catholic soldier took the axe and deliberately walked over to the cross. His fellow prisoners turned away their eyes. They were filled with grief at the thought that one of their number was about to abjure his God, deny his holy faith. Ripoche, maybe it's Ripoche, stood at the foot of the cross. He looked around it with a brave and dauntless air. And brandishing the ponderous battle axe over his head, he cried out in a loud voice, Death to the wretch that dares insult the cross of Jesus Christ, I shall defend it from this honor as long as there is strength in this arm or lifeblood in this heart, end quote. With flushed face and flashing eyes, the noble soldier, brandished, his terrible weapon with such force that no one dared approach him. At last the bloodthirsty soldiers transfixed him with their bayonets and the brave noble Catholic, bleeding at every pore, threw his dying arms around the cross and defended it to his last breath. Oh, dear ones, none of us could know ahead of time that we would have such courage or such faith. God gives faith, gives grace in time of need. Peter is the one who said, the wall forsake you, I will not. And Peter is the one who forsook him. We could say, no, no Lord, I'll, I'll, I'll die for you, but I'm gonna give you a little hint If you're afraid to live for him, you will never die for him. He's not asking us to die for him. He's asking us to live for him against any odds, against a society that no longer believes, against millions of Catholics who say they believe but live and act like the world and dress like the world and speak like the world. They don't live for him. They call themselves Catholic. They don't live for God. They live for the world. They're in the world, and of it. Beloved, I don't know how much time we have, but I've said it before, it's time to begin to live our faith, to be silent no more, to dress modestly like Catholics. That includes men. Men, no more shorts, no more thongs. Dress like a man. No more bare chests. No more T-shirts. Dress like a man women be modest long skirts nothing low cut sleeves not above your elbows nothing tight nothing sheer dress like ladies who profess the king of kings as their god be honest in your dealings Don't go to stores on Sunday. They should not be open. And as long as we continue to shop in them or eat in them, there's no reason to close. Start behaving like Catholics in the world, in your speech, in your activities, in what you do and in what you fail to do. Let us again, like the first century Christians, be witnesses to Christ in the world. It won't take very much to be countercultural in our day. There's the music for our half-hour break, beloved. Feel free to call in or email with anything on your heart, toll free, 1-877-511-5483. Act
3: of consecration to St. Michael the Archangel, in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. O most noble prince of the angelic hierarchies, valorous warrior of Almighty God, and zealous lover of His glory, terror of the rebellious angels, and love and delight of all the just ones, my beloved Archangel St. Michael, desiring to be numbered among Thy devoted servants, I today offer and consecrate myself to Thee, and place myself, my family, and all I possess under thy most powerful protection. I entreat thee not to look at how little I, as thy servant, have to offer, being only a wretched sinner, but to gaze, rather, with favorable eye at the heartfelt affection with which this offering is made. And remember that if from this day onward I am under thy patronage, thou must, during all my life, assist me and procure for me the pardon of my many grievous offenses and sins, the grace to love with all my heart, my God, my dear Savior, Jesus, and my sweet mother, Mary, and obtain for me all the help necessary to arrive to my crown of glory. Defend me always from my spiritual enemies, particularly in the last moments of my life. Come then, O glorious Prince, and succor me in my last struggle, and with thy powerful weapon, Cast far from me into the infernal abysses, that prevaricator and proud angel that one day thou prostrated in thy celestial battle. St. Michael, defend us in our daily battle so that we may not perish in the last judgment. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.
1: Welcome back, beloved, to Mother Mary Live. This is our half hour together, my favorite part. Our lines are open. You're welcome to call in with anything whatsoever on your heart. Toll free, one 511 5483 or email at mother at com. We have an email from Rosarito um, who says, <clears throat> I attend a very small novice auto mass where I help with the distribution of the blood of Christ. The bishop insists that this be done. am Am I committing a sin by doing this? You're not committing a sin, Rosarito, because the church allows it, but I would want to counsel you not to do such a thing. And no one, even though the bishop insists, I say shame on that bishop, um, Uh, he doesn't insist that you do it. He insists that it be done, that communion be distributed in both kinds. But no one can order you to distribute communion uh, through the host or through the precious blood. No one can order you to do that. If a priest or a bishop orders you, they're outside of their uh, power uh, and you do not have to obey them. You obey them, you obey authority in what is Uh, uh, pertains to their legitimate authority. Um, I would would want to urge you not to do that. No one but the hands of a consecrated priest should ever touch our Lord in the Eucharist, either by the host or by the precious blood. I know you're not touching the precious blood, you're holding the chalice, but that is only for a, a priest to do, not even a deacon. So, Rosarito, I would, I would say you're not committing sin, but I would want to urge you not to do that. If every lay person and deacon refuses to distribute communion, it'll be up to the priests, which God has left it up to them, to no one else. Um, we have an email from Eileen who says, Dear Mother, my husband and I are both retired, We have one grown son, no grandchildren. What is my role at this point in life? Thank you, Eileen. Well, I would say um, that hopefully you and your husband could find a mission together. Uh, You have the gifts of the Holy Spirit, both of you. I'm assuming you're Catholic, um, and you've received the sacraments, and you're faithful. Um, I would pray and novena to Our Lady and ask her, what she would have you to do to live your gifts fully, either to uh, bring the gospel to those who don't have it, maybe help a single mother who uh, her children doesn't ha- do not have grandparents. You could be grandparents to a single mother and her children. Um, you could help at nursing homes. Um, you could help with um, uh, unwed mothers' houses. Um maybe with um, maybe your husband can be um, a guide um, to young boys without a father um, many many things you can do, but not to just sit and do nothing. Live your life for God for spreading the gospel and for helping in those ways where God has led your hearts and again hopefully together um And if not, you could serve God in different ministries. Um, So I would pray that novena. Um, You could pray it to St. Joseph the Worker. That would be perfect. And a nine-day novena to St. Joseph the Worker and ask him what he would have you and your husband do. And, And pray it together with your husband. We have an email from Melissa who says, Hello, Mother Miriam. I hope you're doing well. I am, Melissa. Thank you. She says, I've not yet taken the steps to convert to Catholicism, but want to very much. The only thing holding me back is my family. When I met my husband, I did not think about God much. I was not an atheist. I believed, but I never prayed or thought about God. I was not raised in a Christian home. I was raised in a very broken and dysfunctional home. My husband loved God. And his love for God rubbed off on me. His family is Baptist, but they do not attend church. They feel they do not have to. They love God and trust him with all their heart. They have very strong faith. I admire their faith. I adore my husband and his parents. His parents have been like parents to me. I have no relationship with my own. My husband and his family have helped bring me closer to God taught me about Jesus, encouraged prayer. I was also baptized. I am forever thankful for that. However, I have been drawn to the Catholic faith. Even as a child, I felt drawn to it, even though I did not understand it. My husband and I have two young sons, ages five and three. After becoming a mother myself, I felt lost and saddened because I did not have a mother of my own to go to for guidance our blessed mother drew me to the faith after reading and realizing I have a mother in heaven I became so comforted I thought about what a beautiful gift our Lord has given us I began praying the rosary daily I have never felt so close to Jesus before in my life and it has been a tremendous blessing my life has changed for the past year I have felt a strong desire to join RCIA. And for those of you who don't know what that is, it is the right uh, of Christian initiation for adults and convert to Catholicism. My husband is supportive. Wow. My husband is supportive of my decision, but does not understand it and will not attend a mass with me and is not comfortable with our sons going to mass because of the scandals that have gone on in the church. But recently he told me he is okay with me teaching our sons the Baltimore Catechism. If that is what I truly want to do, I homeschool them. This is remarkable on the part of your husband. I am praying every day that my husband's heart opens up to Catholicism more. It's opened up hugely that he's not stopping you from becoming Catholic and that he's going to allow you to teach your children the Baltimore Catechism no, no less. That's huge. Um, she says I do not press the issue the more I explain things to him and clear up things he grew up hearing about Catholicism he has become less and less freaked out by it that's beautiful and I'm holding out hope that soon he will give Mass a chance very very wonderful she says I recently told my in-laws and their reaction was not good they told me they were disappointed of course they were I think your husband should have told them or the two of you should have spoke with them together. Um, They told me they were disappointed, that I was confused and misguided. They told me I am making my relationship with Jesus more difficult and complicated than it needs to be. Well, I tell them in return that their relationship, their relationship with Jesus is um, uh, only sparse. Because they refuse to go to church, which the scriptures tell us, to not forsake the assembly of ourselves together. And they do not go to church. They are not part of the gathering of the body of Christ, which is also against scripture. She says, they told me my love for Mary was not biblical. It, it is, sweetheart. It is biblical. Um, said it was unnecessary and I was wanting Mary to be more than she is because I have mom issues. That's actually cruel and um the fact is that Mary is there in place of your mom. There's nothing wrong with that. And and she says it broke my heart. These people who I love and adore treat me like they never knew me, like I'm not a Christian anymore. This past Christmas, my mother-in-law, who just a year ago I considered one of my best friends, made it a point to say in front of 12 other people that I was stupid for giving up meat on Fridays and better not raise her grandsons in that guilt doctrine. I wear a small crucifix and miraculous metal necklace, and I'm told by my family that I don't need that and that I don't need crucifixes in my home. When I asked why they were upset by a crucifix hanging over our front door, They just shook their heads and left. I still don't know why they were upset, especially when they love Jesus so much, and they really do love him so much. No, they don't. They love him in their own idea of love, but they do forsake the fellowship of going to church together. I don't know their time in the scriptures. Um, um, They love him to the point they've created their own Jesus, And um, uh, the Protestants, dear one, are upset uh, at a crucifix, not at a cross, but a crucifix, because they say, excuse me, they say Jesus is risen, as if Catholics don't know he's risen, and we still have him on the cross. No, 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 no. The church is Catholic from day one, and we know he's risen. But when we see him on the cross, we know, we're reminded over and over again, of his love for us. Melissa says, we're a very tight-knit family, and this has drawn a wedge between my son-in-law's, and I, my son-in-law's family and I. I worry that's putting stress on my husband. Of course it is. I don't know what to do. I want to go through with converting, but I do not want to hurt my family. But I also don't want to hurt God. I know converting is the right thing to do. I was just wondering if you could give some advice for those of us who have a family that disapproves um, or what I should do in my situation. I apologize for the long message. If you read this, thank you for taking the time to do so. Thank you for your comforting words. I've been listening for a few months now. God bless you, Melissa. Melissa, dear, you go ahead and enter the church because you will be hurting God if you don't. Don't you let any human being, no matter their faith or lack of it, stop you from coming into the church, God established, and the only place through which we can be saved. You come into the church, hopefully your husband will come with you when you enter the church. Not come with you entering the church, but be with you that night as you enter. I pray so. But don't let anything stop you from coming into the church. I would say, when your in-laws are over, don't talk about it. Just don't talk. Don't keep silent. If, uh, you can let them know you're Catholic now, and they're not going to dissuade you, um, and uh, they're talking about misconceptions, um, and they don't know the faith. Um, and and uh, your husband needs to say to them, Mom, Dad, I know you don't agree, um, but I ask you to not criticize Melissa. She is my wife. Um, I know what she's done. I've given her the freedom to love God as she loves him and believe as she believes. And I don't want to harass her. I ask you not to do that. Your husband needs to be a man and live up to that. So, Melissa, you go enter the church. I hope you have a sponsor. And uh, hopefully your husband will come with you for that, even your children. Um, and um, and just let your in-laws know that um, this is what you needed to do before God, and your husband needs to tell them that he has given you the freedom from his end to love God as God has drawn you to him. They're going to fight every step of the way, Melissa. Don't worry about it, don't try to please them, pleasing God is more important, and once you are Catholic the graces that can pour out, God can pour out through you to your family are innumerable, so go ahead sweetheart, enter the church and let your husband support you in that, and don't fight with your in-laws you don't even have to tell them you can, doesn't matter, whatever you think is fine, um But what you can do, and your husband can do, is ask them not to come against you or criticize the Catholic faith in front of your children. You've got to make that an absolute, otherwise they cannot come to visit. We'll be right back.
2: Is a scientific fact that life begins at fertilization. Every human being is a human person. It already says in the 14th Amendment of our U.S. Constitution that all persons are to have equal protection under the laws. Yet we have an ongoing mass murder of our little pre-born brothers and sisters under the big lie of abortion. The Supreme Court must explicitly affirm federal protection for our last excluded class and end this constitutional crisis. Use your voice and sign the petition now at the thestationofthecross.com. Did you know that an unwanted car or truck can make a great gift? When the time comes to purchase a new one, consider donating your old car or truck to the Station of the Cross. We have a quick and simple way for you to get rid of your unwanted vehicle while supporting the solid Catholic programming you love listening to on your radio, online, and through your mobile devices. Whether they run or not, we accept cars, trucks, RVs, boats, and motorcycles. It's a great opportunity for you to give more than you might normally be able to. At the same time, you'll be clearing out space in your garage or driveway, ridding yourself of an unwanted vehicle. Just visit us online at thestationofthecross.com or call 1-866-628-CARS. one 628 2277 May God bless you for your generosity in support of Catholic Radio.
0: The Station of the Cross Catholic Media Network is dedicated to answering the critical need of access to quality, consistent, professional, and proven Catholic programming. We cannot rely on other media outlets to properly represent our church. Catholic Radio reaches Catholics, non-Catholic Christians, and non-believers alike. As a non lay organization financially independent of your diocese, our apostolate is listener-supported.
1: And I know some of you want to call in, but you're not doing it. And I'm, I, need, I need interaction. I need that. I need you to call in. Um, not, not totally, but I love it when you do. And the toll-free number is 1-877-511-5483 or email at mother at thestationofthecross.com. Our next email is from Margaret, who says, Would you say a few words about the Alpha? program it's a bible study i'm guessing you know about it i do it was developed by a protestant and being adopted by some catholic parishes thank you and god bless you um the alpha program is not catholic it is protestant and they re- they've published it to put some catholic things in there and it says alpha for catholics it's protestant and there are bishops who tragically have adopted it for their entire diocese And I just call that um, a betrayal of the faith and laziness. Because Protestants may have good Bible study programs, doesn't mean we should adopt them because we can't write our own. Um, Those bishops who are bringing it into their diocese are making their diocese Protestant, and it's tragic. Um, Here's one description of Alpha, an anemic, watered-down, quasi-evangelization tool originally developed by Anglicans. The feelings-based Alpha program attempts to win over converts through non-Catholic means, heavily emphasizing the emotions and dismissing several aspects of church teaching. Detroit's auxiliary bishop, Mike Burns, a proponent of Alpha, has even admitted, and I was thinking of um, Bishop Vigneron in Detroit when I said uh, shamefully bishops have adopted it for their diocese and some even for seminaries which is insane um, bishop mike burns uh, again a proponent a proponent of alpha has admitted quote okay we haven't heard much about mary we haven't heard much about the saints We haven't heard anything really about the sacraments, except for maybe baptism. Hmm. We haven't heard anything about the magisterium, about the bishops and the pope, because it is Alpha. He says, yes, Alpha represents an evangelical Protestant perspective, especially in its ecclesiology. The Alpha program also strongly pushes and is predicated upon a Protestant charismatic agenda emphasizing emotional catharsis and speaking in tongues. Quite a while ago, um, uh, Cardinal Raymond Leo Burke went through the Alpha program and this was his conclusion. Having studied the program Alpha, both from the perspective of doctrine and methodology, I must make it clear that the program may not be used in any form. While, like so many similar programs, Alpha may seem to offer a more attractive and effective form of evangelization and catechesis, it does not have the doctrinal and methodological foundations required for the teaching of the Catholic faith. There's so many things um, against Alpha um, <clears throat> here's another quote um, although parishes are hoping that Alpha will help teach the faith and stem the hemorrhaging of Catholics from the faith it is watered down protest it's watered down Protestantized program is unlikely to do so Rather than leading people into the depths of Catholic understanding, it is a primer to lead people into Protestant denominations. As long as the hierarchy embraces these programs and ignores the rich catechesis available, the bleeding will continue. Eric Sammons, the editor of Crisis apparently has penned an essay on the problems with Alpha, the Protestantization of the New Evangelization. And it's too much for me to read right now, but it's very, very poor. And if you adopt Alpha, you're going to be making your Bible study, your family, your friends, uh, wherever you gather Um, and use Alpha, you're going to be making them Protestant. Okay, let me see what's next here. We have an email from Daniel. Daniel says, I have not been to confession in over 30 years and have to admit it's a bit of a daunting task, but it's something I set out to do. In preparation, I've been trying to pray the rosary on a daily basis, and slowly incorporating more and more prayers into my routine and extending my sessions. I also compiled a list of all my sins to ensure that I make thorough, a thorough and complete confession. For returning Catholics like myself, who haven't been to confession in what seems like forever, what else do you recommend doing? in order to prepare. Well, dear one, the greatest preparation is your heart, to bring it before God and tell him even before the confessional how sorry you are and how grateful you are for the grace that has kept you and that wants to make you right again with him. That's, That's what you need to do. Just be sincere in your heart And don't worry, there's nothing you're going to tell the priest that he hasn't heard before. So go before the priest. When you go before the priest, beloved, when the priest says, I absolve you, it is not the priest saying that. It is Jesus saying it. We are confessing our sins to God. Only God can forgive sins, but he forgives them through the priest of his Catholic Church. And so when we say, um... Uh, the sins, when we repeat the sins that we've committed, in that confessional, we're talking to God. And it is our Lord, through the priest, through the instrumentality of the human priest, who says, I absolve you. And when he says, I absolve you, he also makes the sign of the cross, and it is Christ saying, I absolve you through that priest and you are absolved you are forgiven by Christ just as at the mass when the priest says when the priest holds up bread and water and, and and wheat just mere bread but he pronounces the words over that bread this is my body bread becomes his body just as it did at the last supper he creates by his word but it's not the priest It is Jesus who says, this is my body. He says it through the instrumentality of the priest and through the priest he says, this is my blood and wine becomes his blood. And the same thing when he says in the confessional, I absolve you, you are absolved. It is Jesus saying it, you are forgiven. Jesus speaks through the priest and you are absolutely forbidden. You are absolutely forgiven, I'm sorry. Absolutely forgiven. And then the penance, uh, Daniel, is not in order for you to be forgiven. The penance is to make, is to repair the damage of your sins. To make reparation. It's necessary that you do that. Not in order to be forgiven, but because you have been forgiven. God bless all of you and we'll be with you tomorrow, God willing. God bless you.